the one principally fundamentally the change that needs to happen in education is we have to repurpose the classrooms classrooms need to become a place for gathering getting people together classrooms need to become a reason for multi-directional communication and multi-directional learning that means you need to learn from your peers more than you need to learn from your teacher and how do you repurpose education for that Hello everyone and welcome to the Being Yourself show where we talk to the people who followed their passion to achieve great success. I'm your host Ajay Mathur and this is our first episode. My first guest today is my dear friend Gulzar Azad. Gulzar is the country head of connectivity at Google India. He has initiated and steered a large-scale program of having one of the largest Wi-Fi network across hundreds of Indian railway stations which ended up becoming a global Google product called Google Station. Golzar is an angel investor, a mentor, a TEDx and a global speaker who talks about technology and entrepreneurship. In this interview, he tells us about his journey before and during Google days and how his earlier careers like being a reporter helped him in the initiatives he's taking in his current role. We also discuss about how the education system is losing its purpose and what are the main basic principle fundamentals that require updating to have the education make more sense in the currently fast changing world. Now this interview was filmed on a rooftop of a hotel. So there was no studio setup. It was filmed by one camera. Bear with me with that, but the content is very good and very relevant. If you are starting a career or you're a budding entrepreneur, you should definitely watch this man who has something interesting to say. And I am talking to such people regularly and I'm going to upload my videos on this channel. So if you want to listen more, then please do subscribe to my channel and hit the bell icon so that you have all the videos in your inbox first. So for now, enjoy this interesting conversation with Gulzar Azad. You have led the initiative of having the largest Wi-Fi network across Indian stations. You have been an advisor, entrepreneur, mentor, and a lead executive. Gulzar, welcome to the Being Yourself show. Thank you, Ajay. It's my pleasure. How does it feel to be the first guest on my show? I'm very excited. And uh, not only excited to be on your show, I've known you for so many years, Ajay, and I'm excited about what you're going to do with this show, having known the fact that, you know, how diverse experiences you have had and how determined you are and your persuasive powers. I've seen you do radio shows and I've seen you do, you know, odd jobs in UK along with your professional career. It's been exciting to watch you on the sidelines, man, and I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. To start with, I just wanted to know a little bit more about yourself. Tell us more about your education and how your education helped you become successful. So my education has been in, uh, in different phases, I would say. And it has always been interluded by my work experiences. I have not had a, what you would call a typical straight line education, going from school to high school to college and, and post-graduation. I've always had it in breaks uh, for, for very different reasons. 
uh, and those reasons span from economic to what was driving me at that time. Uh, it also driven me from uh, my interests to my passions to uh, to what to what finding to discovering what I really was good at. I I would say that the the most important thing I've I've learned from and, I've, and my, how the most important thing that my education has helped me in is is meeting a a set of people which are my which who became my mentors who became my gurus and who became my very close network of friends colleagues and people I learned from so it's been it's been really the pillar of my education has been people the experiences that that drove that education and and thirdly uh, it's it's about applying what I learned into my into my work because as I said my education has been interluded by you know I've had work experiences and then gone back to my education and then I've worked and then gone back so I think that's that's those are been the three pillars that have helped formal education have helped me in my career you just said that you worked and then you changed jobs so I as far as I, I know you for more than a decade now you did work in media you were a journalist at one point and then you had a retail business you were providing some candies isn't it and then you came into technology. Tell us more about this journey. I mean, very early days, right? Um, the, the ones that you mentioned were very early days of my life. Uh, I was just about discovering, as I, as I would say, of what I should really do. And, uh, and then the other, other factor that was playing was essentially what was happening in my family. We were passing through, uh, I would say, a very different economic times of our, of, from my father's point of view and from my family's point of view. We had lots of economic challenges, lots of financial challenges. And as I, as growing up, uh, when I came out of school, I, uh, I did go, I did start my undergrad in, in, uh, in science. And somehow I felt that this is, this isn't, this isn't what I wanted out of myself. And so I gave up on that and, and took up uh, journalism. And the reason I took up journalism is that one of the things that I've always done starting when I was like probably like eight, nine years old. I've been writing in newspapers, articles, letters to the editor. I've been very interested in about the general history, the civics, the society, the philosophy, the, the political philosophy of the country and, and the politics of the country. So that interest basically took me to, to journalism and I, you know, for a short stint, not long time, I was um, a sub-editor at uh, one of the central English news dailies in India. A very, very interesting experience and I, I still love that experience. I still feel that was one of my best experiences. Uh, coming out of that, two things that drove me towards technology was that even as I was being an editor in the, in the newspaper, one of the things that, was, that I was most interested in was the software with which it was being made, with which, which the paper was being published. PageMaker, I was working on PageMaker. And I was always into programming. I was into programming when I was in the seventh grade. I learned my basics, then I learned Pascal, and then I learned C. Throughout my schooling, I, I had no idea I was going to pursue computers and, and technology. But I was very interested in programming as such. I was very, I was very drawn to technology as such. And even during the uh, during the short stint of, uh, of being an editor, I was drawn to technology. And then, of course, the financial situation that we had in the family, 
drew me towards a a more lucrative career i would say so you know one of the things that i knew was computer programming and then obviously the financial so that's what that's what took me to an undergrad uh, program where uh, undergrad course which took me into computer science i was talking about how how my life was interluded so i did schooling and then i was 3 years out of college uh, i was i was not in college and then i joined college so is it fair to say that you have found your passion into technology i i think that's that's pretty fair i mean i've spent like almost two decades in it now i've i've been 13 years in google uh you know i'm just about completing 13 so i i would say yeah i mean at various various aspects of technology especially mobility uh, wireless infrastructure the wireless applications got me on early on during my undergrad and uh, has kept me engaged and and enthralled and excited throughout the last two decades i went into this trekking trip with some of my friends and in that trip i went to a very small railway station and that's where i saw a big box which said railtel wifi from google and then yeah. i know that you were the person who led that initiative and which allowed more than 15 million footfall we have at the moment right i mean the rail- railway stations that we have covered get about 15 million people pass by those railway stations every single day every single yes, day right. so that's like a, a millions of active users or new users every single day right yeah. and you started with around 500 odd railway station as a pilot and now the government is working on it and it's the number is in thousands of stations have been covered by this network tell us more about this journey of connectivity in google so this is very it's been uh, you know a one a very different life in google i the way i look at it i've had two lives in google the one where you know i had the opportunity to launch a lot of our product partnerships uh, ranging from search going up to android and then the other part being engaged with the access ecosystem the the connectivity ecosystem the idea was how do you accelerate this ecosystem how can we contribute towards accelerating this ecosystem it's a it's a very very large complex thing to do so obviously operators the government and a whole lot of other stakeholders ranging from oems to equipment makers and and software suppliers have contributed to building the ecosystem uh google from an internet point of view was was and remains a key stakeholder for what happens towards the uh connectivity towards broadband towards access to information and our mission as most people know is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible so it it applied to our mission very well and you know we uh, we were we were very focused and intent on how do we address the broadband ecosystem and this and and any broadband ecosystem has private players private networks addressing it it also has public infrastructure so towards we chose the second path and partnered with the government at large and built this wifi ecosystem in railway stations to enable the public infrastructure to enable unfettered full fidelity access to the internet high speed access to the internet so that a large number of people could experience what broadband is even without being able to afford it so if they can't afford it in their homes in their offices and in their university campuses or their educational campuses they could still experience it at a place which has uh, which which incidentally is is very important place for india not only the fact that it runs across the country but it has 
fiber on it going through the railway tracks. It has power because obviously because of being railways and, and, and stations and it has a secure shelter for people to come in and not only board the train but to be able to uh, use other services and one among those services we thought should be uh, a public Wi-Fi ecosystem and so we partnered with Railtel which is the telecommunications arm of Indian Railways and who had laid this 45,000 kilometers of fiber uh, and I had this idea that you know we could use the same fiber uh, for lighting up Wi-Fi and the same idea was with another uh, government officer who was at Railtel, a Railtel officer and he was very passionate about it Manohar and I was very passionate about it. So we both came together and, and got the right investments from Google and the government and, and lighted it up. And you know, we nobody knew that it would be so useful at that point in 2013-14. But turns out that yeah, millions of people are now using it. Hundreds of terabytes of data is being exchanged every single day. It's been uh, it's been very impactful, I would say. When I heard about it, I thought you know it's not going to work out. But once I connected to this network, the speed that I got was really really impressive and I was blown away by the way people are using your internet and everybody is getting free internet on the railway stations. Now it sounds really great but why a company like Google will invest hundreds of millions in doing a project and giving internet to free to millions of people? So I just wanted to understand and our audience would also like to know what's in it for Google to do this? How do they make money out of it? Very good questions uh, and uh Obviously, these are these are natural queries that have come come to us uh, a lot many times on when we began the project and and as the project scaled up. Uh, I mean, first of all, this whole project is is a lot of teamwork. Uh, secondly, all kudos to to the railways and to Railtel who enabled who who is the ISP Railtel is the ISP here and enabled this whole fiber network and enabled the broadband gigabit broadband behind this. For Google, as I was uh, uh, mentioning earlier, the largest opportunity in India was uh, f uh, many years back, about you know the time when you talk about when the spectrum, when the broadband spectrum was released in India. The largest opportunity was that hundreds of millions of people will come online and be able to access information, be able to access the full power of the internet, full power of the mobility applications. Uh, and the services and the productivity, efficiency and the economics that comes with it. Uh, and obviously Google being the largest stakeholder from an internet point of view would be one of the biggest beneficiaries of this. So our, our view was that if we accelerate the ecosystem then Google benefits from it. This, this uh, is an indirect benefit which is why this is an ecosystem building exercise. At the same time this was also a monetization exercise from railways and from Google's point of view. But, it, but if you step back and if you look at what we are doing here is, we are addressing a divide which exists in the society. Now that divide, most people understand that as a digital divide, which means you're online, you're, you're not online. I, I wouldn't say that's the divide that we are addressing here. That divide more or less is addressed because devices are super cheap in India, data plans have been super cheap in India, not today, but for many years. Uh, and, and that has over time, you know, reduce the digital divide. At the same time, a different kind of divide has risen. And I, I, I like to call it, and I termed it, you know, to explain to most people across the world as experience divide. Which means people like you and me, Ajay, 
have access to hundreds of gigabytes of data every month because the speed of the network that we have at home in form of fiber and Wi-Fi and at, and our mobility because of LTE and you know at every place that we practically go to from offices to campuses to restaurants that is not what the billion users in India outside of the top 100 200 million users have access to they do not have access to this high-speed Wi-Fi or high-speed experiences and that's what I call experience divide because they, even though as they are online, their experiences are limited by the kind of internet that they experience, the quality of internet that we experience. So, so this is a more nuanced version of digital divide where we go from digital divide to understanding what is experience divide. So you have a different experience of the internet and the person across the line has a different experience of the internet. And then obviously, ultimately this leads to knowledge divide. You, by way of acquiring such information and processing it, have a much better access to knowledge, a better application of knowledge than a billion people out there. So, digital divide, experience divide, knowledge divide. And we are kind of addressing the experience divide by making sure that at least at the railway station and such public places, people have the same access to information at the same quality of access, the way you and me experience internet today. And so that was the motivation, at least from my part. And, and thankfully, leadership at Google at the top level, uh, you know, accepted that vision that came, that emanated from, from this project and, and converted that vision into investments. And then later, you know, we evolved that, uh, the project into even a product that has launched internationally. It is so fascinating. I mean, a normal human who is using these services wouldn't even understand how a company will benefit out of it and will make it so big that it changes everything and great to have this such leaders who can have that kind of vision they can think 10 years before anybody else has so now as i understand you are kind of handed over the connectivity program to the government of india isn't it what, i, I would next? say the, the way the way i would put it is that uh, the fiber especially specifically the railways project the fiber extends to about more than 5,000 stations across the country. Uh, India has about 8,000 plus railway stations and in as many cities and towns uh, practically. And, and, and fiber itself goes to 5,000. We did more than 400 stations in, in as many cities and towns. And then the railways uh, took, took the momentum forward and extended that to more than 5,000 stations as we understand. So which is, which is amazing, which is the ecosystem impact I was talking to you about, right? Once you started something, the railways kept on extending it in their own way. They had other motivations to go beyond the top cities and towns. Uh, I would say we did touch like tier two, tier three, going to 400 cities and towns, but then they went way beyond that, right? They went to tier, other tier three places, they went to tier four, and then they, they started going towards rural. Even though 5,000 still, I think practically India counts it as urban, at least up to 4,000, I would say, uh, and and then then you start going rural. So now now they are extending the same power, the same type of connectivity towards rural India, which is very motivating. So I think I think yes, the government has definitely taken it forward, way forward than we have, and then Google itself also has converted that as I was mentioning into a product called Google Station. So in a way, this project co-founded, you know, a product at Google, Google Station, and then that product has launched in in various countries across the world. So what next? Ah, yeah. So it's been it's been very interesting. You know, I, I think it's been a very interesting decade plus at Google. 
at at present i am uh, i'm investing my time for the last like 12 months or more into other ideas and the motivation is still is how do we leverage use technology to create uh, impact into people's lives in a sustainable way and that's that's really become the motivation i think that's been this project this project has been about that and and in going going forward i would love to see you know more ideas emanate within google outside google that leverages technology to create massive impact what are the three big things in 2020 in terms of technology that we we should look out for i i mean you know i i i am no uh, future teller but i would say from from what i have seen and what i'm observing a few few things that people could definitely look forward to and they are evolving very fast is we have seen we have seen across the last few years a lot of centralization a lot of cloud technologies coming in and impacting how systems are set up how hardware software works and stuff like that i think the next few years starting and more more and more of that in 2020 is going to be about decentralized architectures is going to be about distributed computing because both from a hardware software point of view if you see the the way the capabilities are are building up you will have smaller devices and smaller devices with larger and larger capacities and and more processing power and more storage capacities which means that you will be able to do distributed computing and you will be able to go closer to the user closer to the machines and reduce the latency with which you want to act on uh, on particular requirements that are arising from from different things like you know i feel that for example we will see across the world and this is more more global we'll see that robotics in your home uh, or in your factory will have the brain sitting at the edge of the network and not necessarily in the robot itself and that is a amalgamation of what's happening in the network what's happening in in terms of device capabilities and and what's happening in terms of the ability for smaller devices to do much much larger computing uh, much have much larger computing capability so like you know google has like for example tensorflow lite and that's able to you know bring machine learning at the edge and that's one of the things that we're going to see i think the other things that we'll see is is also a lot of automation happening of processes that have been there so you will see jobs shifting towards higher capabilities you will see that human capabilities will be much better used uh, with all the machine learning that is coming in i think i the way i see it is that machine learning and human capabilities are going to play a very complementary role so there's right now there seems to be a polarization of people who want to run everything by data and machines and then people who have processes which are very human led i believe i believe in a better and my uh, optimistic view is that both of these will come together and there will be less polarization as a result of that that's the second thing and the third thing i feel is that the form factor of our communication is going to change now and 2020 you will see more and more of that which means you will say that you know we will have less dependency on the mobile phone for our communication and that's going to be different from what we have seen in the last one decade so we have had huge dependencies on mobile phones for our communication right for for our 
ability to communicate to others, for our ability to communicate to machines, I think that's also going to get distributed and we'll see other devices coming into the system through which we'll communicate. One of the purpose of my show is to connect the dots, like how people have gone into their careers over the period of time compared to what they really studied. When I talk to you, I feel like this is a journalist who used to write news articles in the newspapers is today talking about the robotics, the machine learning and the future of technologies, a mobile phone and everything, which is which to me sounds like a bit disconnect there. So I just wanted to understand what is your view about the education system that we currently have and how much it impacts to what a person you become eventually. I think that's a that's a very deep question, and you know I'll I'll reflect upon upon uh, a bit of my life. I would say that the most important thing in connecting back to to what I was saying at the beginning of our conversation is education needs to be able to give you a very diverse exposure to everything that's about life and things around life and things that enable better life. So just to give you an example, the, when we, in our early days, there's no, the seemingly there's no connection between our writing capabilities and, and, and you know, what you will do as a programmer. Well, I, I feel very strongly that those two are very connected. One of the most important things that helped me in later part of my career was what I did in my very, very early days, even before I went to college. So as a as a sub editor, as a as a as a kid who used to write about uh, very mature topics on politics and stuff like that, and and about uh, society and you know uh, about communities, I think all those aspects were very helpful when I started thinking about you know things like digital divide and experience divide and knowledge divide. The, because, as you can imagine, I had to articulate all of this in order to get investments both from Google and the government to make the project like Railways Wi-Fi happen. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, I had to understand the perspectives which were very different. So the government had a very different perspective, Railways had a very different mission, and then Google had a very different mission. And these are two different communities of people, and these are two different very, very different organizations on very different planes in order to bring them together you had to build multiple visions not just one vision so you needed capabilities to communicate you needed capabilities to deeply understand where people are coming from you need to you need capabilities to understand how do you how how do you empathize with different sets of people right how do you empathize with google's mission and their need for being a uh, building a sustainable project project and product obviously as as a private organization as a profit-led organization they they needed that and then and then empathizing with the government whose mission is to reach a broad set of people the entire population basically and and also empathizing the fact that they're very concerned about how to build neutral infrastructure, how to build unbiased infrastructure. So how do you make, make both, these, both these things meet? Right? Google will come in and say, what's my benefit in this? And then obviously the government will come in and say, how does, 
people at large get benefit irrespective of who is doing this whether it's google or whoever else and so this requires something which was not taught in technology which was not taught in my computer science programs or or uh, in the project management program that i took at stanford this 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 came basically from my very very early days spent in uh, you know journalism and and what my dad taught does it say the current education system doesn't tell you how to really be visionary how to how to make money or for that matter how to be happy really and if you look at the data right one third of billionaires have no college degree so sometime it creates some sort of doubt onto the education system that kids are currently going through i i i would say that there are two things happening here the learning of life itself is not necessarily happening in a in a college or a school or or in a structured academic program these are two different things you can go through a rigorous program to acquire information that you have to use and process and structure for a specific outcome like you could you could learn the entire history of 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 india for example because you want to be a historian and you want to have all this information in order to apply that in order to be a a great in order to be somebody who can articulate and empathize and and raise investments may not necessarily require you to go through a structured program what it does require you is that you have a very diverse set of experiences our education today is very very structured towards what happens in a classroom is a unidirectional system of imparting information and i think that's that needs to basically change the principle of education needs to change the principle needs to go from understanding that the classroom is a reason for bringing people together the classroom is not a place for only objectively imparting information i think information is now going to be available across the world in every form and every means and and that's that's basically has changed over the last like 2 or 3 decades because of internet and technology and i think if we have to use that we have to repurpose the classroom so the one principle the one principally fundamentally the change that needs to happen in education is we have to repurpose the classrooms classrooms need to become a place for gathering getting people together classrooms need to become a reason for multidirectional communication and multidirectional learning that means you need to learn from your peers more than you need to learn from your teacher and how do you repurpose education for that and then classrooms need to become an ex- a reason for going out and taking different experiences so you need to push people to go and and discover what they are good at rather than uh, build a system where they necessarily have to be good at what you want them to be good at so so here's here's how i'll summarize it classrooms need to be repurposed for multidirectional education mm-hmm. for multidirectional learning i would say second is we need to go from a system of grading to assessment we can't be grading grading people we need to assess people for their strengths and their weaknesses and guide them and then thirdly education is no more about information imparting education is no more about passing information education is about experiences what's your message to the people who are either studying students or the people who are just going to start their careers or the budding entrepreneurs who are making their decisions based on what they have studied so far what's your message to them 
I think I think the most important from my experience, the two two most important principles for success is how do you develop a system of continued continuously understanding who you are and being open to who you can be. And then secondly, how do you evolve in a principle of doing the right thing and doing it well? If you if you can develop these two principles in your life, and if you can abide by them, if you can make them your guardrails or your guiding principles, I think the rest will just fall in place. Is how I feel. Do agree with with your thoughts and your three things that we need to rediscover into the education system. And it has been a really fascinating conversation with you, Gozar. Any other thoughts that you would like to give to our audience? No, I uh, th- no. Thank you for for bringing me on your show. The, as I said in the beginning, I'm very excited by what you're going to do with it, and you know how how you're going to interact with students, entrepreneurs, and your audience, and where you will take this. I think my uh, message remains that uh, do good, do it well. Good. Thank you very much, Gulzar. All right. Thanks, Ajay. Thank you.